in the way you want us to be changed. Mold us into the way that you need us to be. For we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to receive. We open our hearts to be vessels that we might give. We open our hearts that we might be bearers of the light of Jesus in everything. Amen. It's not working, buddy. Can you do the next one? Yeah, can you do the next one? Thank you. Don't you hate when this stupid thing doesn't work? Ah, it's working now. Yay. Just needed a bit of encouragement. So I'll just put up some of these, uh, these scriptures that you have been listening to, and I hope you can read that. It's a little bit little. But the first five verses. What is... And I won't read through it again. You've heard when Judy read it to save time. I like the very first part of this when after the love chapter, we call it, the chapter in which we are to couch all of the gifts in, the way, the motivation in which we are to walk in the Holy Spirit and walk in the gifts that he gives us. I love it when, he, when Paul says, pursue love. In the context, it's pursue everything that has to do about God in that God is love. Pursue this love that's patient and kind and not rude and not arrogant and pursue this love that he's just been talking about. Pursue your love for God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and pursue love with one another. For the Holy Spirit is the family guy. He's the guy who wants to draw together the, the family of God, the body of Christ, so that we would be together, even though we're diverse, even though we're different. And he talks about these tongues and these prophecies, and sometimes we think, oh, that's scary, because this is just something that I don't understand. This is something that I'm not really sure about. When they talk about tongues, I can understand if they're talking about geographical languages all around the world. But the languages or the tongues of men, that's pretty okay to, to understand. But when they talk about the tongues of angels or these spiritual tongues, these tongues that the Holy Spirit gives us, mm, uh, I'm not really sure. And so I don't really understand. And so if I don't understand, I will just forget about it. Let me give you a definition. Tongues is a form of prayer and praise you express to God in a language you do not understand. We understand, and probably, and this is how I see it, and you can examine this for yourself, but I see it particularly in the first verse, or in the first few verses of this uh, chapter, that there is not just a tongue that is given to the church that needs an interpretation. But there is a tongue that belongs to someone that they use privately so that their spirit is edified or built up with God's spirit. Does everybody speak in tongues? Well, in a sense we do because we speak English and, and Lydia speaks German and others speak probably 
uh, Hindi or Fijian or others speak different language or Russian up the back or in this, if we were to talk about all the languages spoken in this place here, uh, there would be different languages spoken. That's true. But there is a language that God, the Holy Spirit, seems to give us that belongs to us as a prayer language. A prayer language that edifies our spirit with God's spirit. But yet there is this gift of tongues that comes to the church as a body so that sometimes, and it rarely happens, it's not one of those things that happens all of the time. And if you look later on in the chapter, it says let two or three, two or most three, do this in, in a gathering. And it's not just this gathering, it could be a home group gathering, it could be any gathering where, where Christians are. But there is that sense of where tongues is an important gift given to the individual, but also to the corporate body. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, that chapter verse 3, says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speak to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there is this different thing that they talk about. Talk about tongues that edifies or builds up the person because when someone speaks in tongues, they speak to, them, they don't, they speak to God, not to others. And so there's that sense in which we praise and pray and, and build ourselves up with God but there is this prophecy thing. Let's talk about prophecy for a minute. Prophecy is speaking God's word or mind into a situation. So it, prophecy, the gift of, it's the experience of understanding and, and God giving you the sense of his mind into a situation or the pronouncing of God's word into a situation. I would say that and in, in we read in this chapter that it says that all can prophesy. There is a sense in which all within the church now have the ability to speak into uh, with the mind of God and with the word of God into the body. So we can all prophesy. Now it takes different forms, this prophecy. It can be in the sense of preaching it can be in the sense of bringing wisdom or uh, uh, the gift of the word of wisdom into a situation and that can come from the experience of life or it can be in the sense of this knowledge into a situation, supernaturally and naturally. There is this sense in which both are supernatural and natural. So we ought not to be scared about some of these things because, oh, that's supernatural stuff. That's nothing to do with me. But there's a sense of which we can speak wisdom and knowledge into someone's life and into the life of the church in a supernatural way that we didn't know before because God reveals it to us, but also in a natural way because of our experience and life skills and the learning out of the Word of God. Now, Paul expects every New Testament congregation to be filled with this gift. Your sons, and there's the prophecy out of Joel, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Just like in the Old Testament, there was the special class of priests, but in the New Testament, everybody became priests. We're the priesthood of all believers. That's one of the Church of Christ things. We're priesthood of all believers, and that's what the Bible says. But there's, there, in the Old Testament, there was a special class of prophets who used to wear hessian and eat locusts and stuff. 
I'm glad I don't want to be one of them. But in the New Testament, the congregation is filled with prophets. So there are a few ground rules for this prophecy that I'd like to uh, just give. You should never, ever, ever claim the authority of God when you speak. Have you ever heard people say, well, thus saith the Lord. You think, oh, shut up. What you're saying is, I can't be wrong. Now, God might be saying it, but I would say, just as a practical thing, don't claim the authority of God because guess what? You could be wrong. If you claim the authority of God and then you're wrong, guess what? You're a false prophet. And you don't want to be one of them, especially if you read Leviticus. Watch out for rocks. When people say that to me, God says this, now I can sense that God has said something to me, and I will say so. But... If I'm saying God seems to be saying this to our church, that's after consultation with the, with the leadership and, and nutting that through and discerning that through. But when people say God, this, uh, God says this, I wonder, how do I respond? Okay, um, if this is what God's saying, I better believe it and better obey. Unless you have a verse of scripture, don't say it to me. Unless it follows the paradigms or the, the boundaries of the word of God, don't say it to me. Because people can say stupid things. And I don't know if you've heard people say stupid things before. I've said stupid things. If you've heard, people might say, God told me I need to divorce my wife. Rubbish. That's against this. That's not God saying that. You just probably had bad pizza last night. <laughs> you should never say that. Say something like this, I think God might have put this on my heart. Test it and see. I have this policy, if people give me a word that they say, they, they think that God has said to me, I have this shelf in my mind and I take it and I put it on the shelf and I leave it there. Because if I act on it, I might be being presumptuous. I might be running ahead of God. I want God to organize stuff for me and reveal things to me. I don't want to manufacture it because it's hard enough to live life rather than having to, and getting from point A to point B rather than going to point C, D, E and F before you get to, you know, like, like Jonah. You, you want to get straight there, don't you? God has used a lot of people in my life, a lot, to guide me and encourage me. And that's important. That's what we're here for. It's always best when it's tied to Scripture. When you speak a word from yourself, it cannot be sure it's coming from God. When you speak it from the Scripture, in context, uh, I have no doubts. You, and you should use it for the purposes given. For, in verse 3, upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, if you remember verse 3. For the upbuilding... On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. It's for the building up of the church. It's for the building up of people. So if I sense someone in someone's life, I want to know that it's going to build them up. I want to know that it's going to encourage them. 
I want to know that it's going to help them or confirm something in their life so that they're spurred on to continue to serve God. And here's a few grand rules for receiving it, guys. If someone says, I was praying for you and I sense this, ask, does it contradict what God has, has said clearly elsewhere? Like God told me to divorce my wife, really? God told you the, that his word doesn't apply to you in a certain area? I'm sorry. I'm going to need to see that in writing and with a... Uh, a witness JP signature, Joyce, uh, to make sure that that's right. Ask, does it accord with what God is doing in my life? Some, uh, a girl tells a guy that God told her they should get married, but he didn't tell the guy. I'm sure the guy won't stay. Ask, does it glorify God or does it glorify the prophet? The prophesying person. Does it glorify God or does it glorify the prophesying person? Sadly, I think people try to act in the gift so it glorifies themselves. It brings light upon them. I've been used in the gift of healing or I've been used in... No, no, it's not about you. It's about what God would do. I'm running out of time, so I've got to zip along pretty quick. So, the tongue is used to build up the church. But we remember that the tongue needs to have an interpretation. If a tongue came in this church in a meeting, and you all look, think, hope it doesn't, but it might, what if it did? It needs to have an interpretation. If it doesn't, we can't take it on. We need to disregard it. We don't disregard the person, we disregard the tongue. We understand when Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, Paul is for more intimacy with the Spirit, more interaction with the Spirit. There's nothing he says about your interaction with the Spirit I would not desire you to have. In other words, I wish you had every spiritual gift ever known to man, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Remember... What is the purpose of the gifts? To make you feel close to God? Was that it? No. It was to build up the church. It was to edify the church with the, with the Spirit, with God. Is it make us all feel nice and lovely? No. Edification does not come with the amazement of the gifts. Edification comes in the knowledge and relationship with God. Because a, a, a church that's built on the amazement of the gifts will one day when the gifts don't arrive fall to pieces because it's the wrong foundation. The church that's built on relationship, it's built on foundation of fellowship with God and knowing God in the depths of their being. When the time comes for toughness, then the church will survive because it's the right foundation. It can't be based on the amazement of a gift, although the gifts are amazing. Now that I got off of that little tangent. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wasn't just throwing that in there about the love so that you could have something to read in your wedding. Love for others was to be the basis for how all the spiritual gifts were used. We are used in the spiritual gifts for the love of God and the love of others. Love is the goal. 
so that others are built up. In, in uh, verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If nobody understands what you're saying, how can you be building them up? For we understand that prophecy and tongues go together in the sense of when it's given as a gift to the church. They are complementary. They coexist because they're both vocal gifts. When God, uh, the Holy Spirit brings a, a, a message of tongues through a person in the church and then there's an interpretation, that interpretation is generally a prophetic interpretation because they go together. It's a prophetic interpretation and sometimes it reveals something. It might reveal something to the church to spur it on to the future. It might be that gift of, of wisdom to uh, build the church up or uh, of knowledge or to teach something. It's always, always, always to build up the body. And always, 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 if we're building the body, we're glorifying Christ. Always. Never anything else but that. Then he gives three illustrations. Is that the one? Oh, yeah, it is. Um, even if there's a lifeless instrument such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinctive notes. How will anyone know what has happened? If you go back, Tim, to your primary school time when you were learning an instrument, there were three things that you need to remember when you're learning an instrument, isn't there? There's rhythm. What else is there? There's melody. What else is there? There's probably harmony as well. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things, but they're really three basic things that we remember when we're learning an instrument. When I'm learning the instrument of my voice, I needed to learn rhythm. I needed to learn diction. I needed to learn where to pronounce the notes. Sure, but I needed to learn melody and harmony. So... In the music, it can't be just a lifeless instrument. It comes to bring something. It comes to bring uh, music that is played. In, in, uh, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who's going to get ready for the battle? Are the soldiers going to... Now, Gary, you didn't, they didn't sound too many bugles to go to battle in your day, did they? But in days past, when they were talking about getting the soldiers into battle, they would sound the bugle, wouldn't they? And the bugle call was a distinct call to bring the soldiers to alert, to bring them to arms, to bring them to battle. Uh, it's sort of kind of important, isn't it? You're in battle, you hear the bugle, you need to know if, if that means go forward or pull back, retreat or advance, retreat or advance. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Sound the bugle, that'll tell them. If half of you hear it and go forward and half of you hear it and go back, that's not a good idea. It's bad. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. Sure. So therefore, if you speak in a language of your tongue to someone else, if Lydia came up and gave us a sermon in German, we'd all be going, you're having a hard enough time in English, let alone in German. Oh, I've got to hurry up. I'm going to run out of there. It talks about the barbarian, and I think I'll have to uh, curtail this today. 
The word that the Romans used for all foreigners is barbarian or foreigner in, in our English Bibles. Now, the language meant something, but not to those who can't understand it. It's useless. There's no use if you've travelled overseas and you can't speak the language and you stand in the middle of the square and everybody's talking German or talking Dutch or talking... Uh, um, in Belarus, if an if a English person arrives in Belarus and can't speak a word, they have no earthly idea what's going on. And so Paul is saying this into the church... Don't do this without interpretation because everybody will have no earthly idea what's going on and it doesn't achieve anything. Let me just go from my Bible, not from my notes now because I've run out of time. So, therefore, if anybody speaks in a tongue, should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind. There's a sense in which we just don't pray with our spirit, that sense of God speaking through our spirit, but we need to pray with our mind as well. Intelligible thoughts, intelligible direction, intelligible uh, construction of what we're saying so that people know where we're going and it builds up the body. It's all about the body. It's all about the edification of the body. I will, pray, I will sing praise with my spirit. We will sing, and there's that sense of our spirit singing to God, and we love it, but we pray with our mind as well so that it's intelligible. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? And I'm just going to finish here today except for some applications. This interesting word that he puts in here, Amen is the word in Hebrew. It is a Hebrew word. He speaks into uh, the culture of the Greeks with many different languages and he throws in like a little bit of a stun grenade a Hebrew word just to, to alert them for some reason. But it says, and I understand that in every language, Amen is well understood. It's a Hebrew word, Amen, can be said amen, amen, ameni. Uh, different languages say it in different ways, but generally it's the same. In Greek, it's a transliteration of the, of the Hebrew. And what he's saying, how is it that we can be together? How is it that we can be in agreement or affirmation of what's being said? And that's what amen say, means. How can we, if we don't understand? Paul is saying that the gifts of prophecy and tongues are together for the building up of the church so the church will advance as that, that, that army for God, that, that movement of the body of Christ to bring glory of Christ to the earth. But unless we're together, we can't move together. The gifts are important. I've run out of time, so I'm just going to look at all those scriptures. There's some applications today. I want you to take these home with you. Take these home as you read this chapter again. As you read it and understand, if you're a person who speaks in tongues already, it might be just a prayer language for you, never been used in the gift to the church, and that's okay, there's no compulsion for that. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not inferior. If you do speak in tongues, you're not superior. 
Hello? If you are operating in one particular gift, you're not better than anybody else. Here are the applications. Interact more with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be used by the Holy Spirit in the church, we need to interact with the Holy Spirit. This is a relationship that we have with him. Public interaction begins with private interaction. Private interaction is sitting with the, with the Word of God, in the presence of God, hearing God. Hearing God speak to you. Have you been in that place where you just go and you just by yourself and you're just silent maybe and you wait and hear what God would say to you? Through his word, through your mind, through your heart. Take the time to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that you come to a place of total dependence on him. We must be totally dependent on the Spirit of God if we're going to be used by the Spirit of God, if we're going to build up the, the, the body, if there's going to be edification for ourselves. Practice listening. There's an old book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. And it's quite a, a book to read. It's a great book to read. For he was a monk, but he worked in the kitchens. And uh, he was the cook. And he would ev everywhere he would go, he would sense and practice the presence of God with him. It's a fantastic book. It's only little. My friends, stop treating God as a theory. Sometimes we know that God is some concept up in the sky. We know that he's real, but he doesn't have too much interaction with how I live my life. The Spirit of God is so interested in every part of your life. He wants to be in there with you. Invite him in to bring uh, his life into your life. Don't treat him as a theory. We serve a living God. I remember an old hymn, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever man may say. I forget the rest of the words. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Yeah, that's right. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. I know, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And how do I know he lives within my heart? Because I have interaction with the Spirit of God within my heart. He dwells within me and I take time to listen. I take time to have a relationship with him. And it's not about jumping to the extremes. It's about staying with him so that he would lead me, that he would guide me, and I would stay in that place with him. Come together with something to give every time you gather. You know, in our Western world, we, we come to church to see what we can get. But God encourages us to be used, open to be used in the gifts and say, God, what is it that you have for me to give what is it that you have for me to give into the body today and then earnestly desire the gifts why for the family in verse one pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and in verse 12 so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit or the open show of the spirit in your life strive to excel in building up the church that's why we're here to build up the church and one last thing by faith we receive the gifts 
By faith, we exercise the gifts. By faith, we receive the gift of the gifts so that when the gift operates through someone else, and by faith, we worship the giver of the gifts. We could spend hours in this chapter because there's so much that we could pick apart. Are you ready to be the person who says, Amen, I affirm and I agree with what the Scripture says. I affirm and I agree that I'm ready for the Spirit to take a hold of my life and I'm ready to be totally dependent upon Him, whatever that might look like. And it might be a bit hairy sometimes and it might look a bit weird, but are you ready to be a person of the Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We have spent just a short period looking briefly at something that is so important and yet so neglected. Forgive us, O God, for neglecting the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, O God, for neglecting the gifts that are to be given and are received and are exercised. Forgive us, O God, for treating you like a theory and not a reality. Forgive us, O God, for forgetting that you are the living God working through us, in us, to build the body up, the body of Christ, so that your name would be glorified in the world. Forgive us. Take us on from strength to strength, O God, in the Holy Spirit. Empower us to be witnesses. Give us the gifts so that we might be building one another up. Help us to love one another with that everlasting love that you give and place in our hearts. And Father, we lay ourselves before you. Holy Spirit, we surrender to your work in our lives today. Would you use us more than you've ever used us before? And would the glory of Christ shine through us as individuals? And together as your church, shine your light, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen.